Hey, you guys, Thomas again. Welcome to episode one or two or whichever. Uh, we recorded these out of order before we had a schedule fully set up. So just don't worry about it. Um, this episode is so much fun. We really get deep into anti-capitalism and John Carpenter's awesome vision for this movie. And it's absolutely one I recommend watching before you fully set foot in the podcast. It's it's just a blast. And it's uh, it's great to have that knowledge going into it. It's Some of it's so hard to explain. Uh, just the effects and the matte paintings and uh, just all the stuff going on uh, as far as the ideas in it as well. Uh, it's streaming right now on Peacock if you wanted to toss a free trial at that or just do what I do and ask the Internet nicely for the movie and you'll inevitably come across something. Uh, remember to use a VPN. As always, the intro music is by the KVB and the outro is by Ochre. Uh, check out their stuff. Seriously, they're geniuses. The KVB guys especially were so cool. They sent me uncompressed wave files of their music for me to use for the podcast. Um, again, yeah, this movie is incredible. It's, it's practically my religion. Uh, and if I had to say anything more about it uh, that doesn't come up in the podcast, it's that uh, it's really special in how fun it makes the revolution look. Uh, I think changing things doesn't have to be a dour experience as it's often represented and talked about. Uh, it can be a fucking blast. So enjoy the show. Yes. Our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. Their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own game. Please understand, they are safe as long as they are not discovered. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep, keep us selfish, keep us sedated. I'm giving you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. I already am eating from the trash can all the time. The name of this trash can is ideology. further ado. Hello everyone, welcome to Doppelgangers on Film, a film theory podcast where we look at the strange, the psychological, the social, and the slimy aspects of all kinds of movies. Uh, I'm here with my co-host Alexander Bovey, PhD, and I'm Thomas Radke, a uh, bachelor's degree. This is episode one, They Live, about uh, John Carpenter's anti-capitalist sci-fi classic. Uh, join us as we break it down. Great. And don't forget, uh, we are pairing this film, They Live, with um, a text, as we'll, we'll try to do throughout the series. And the text for today to pair with 
um, they live is going to be uh, Mark Fisher's book, Capitalist Realism. Yes. Which I think is um, maybe the perfect pairing. Yeah, it's it's about as close to perfect, uh, I think, as exists in our plans right now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if we can reach this one again. It just seems so perfect. Um, uh, And I'll say, I'm going to say a little bit about why I think it's a great pairing and a little bit about um, the book, um, which I highly recommend. Yeah, I think um, it's available out there for free. yeah. Which is yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, he's he's such a he's such a critic critic of capitalism and such a proponent of socialism. And he did the book on zero books, which I believe was supposed to be an open press, or it was an open press. Yeah. And now I think that you can't you can't get it for free. I think zero books now charges for the e copy. Oh no, which is kind of ironic. A, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the the inertia of capitalism just. It's right. It's right. It's sad, especially for that book. But I. But you can get. You can definitely get it um, online for free. Yeah. It's not official. I don't. I'm not sure what status is, but I know every time I've checked, you can get it on somebody, somebody out there in the, in the universe is always making sure there's a open copy somewhere for you. So that's, so that's great. It's a great book. Super uh, highly recommended. Um, Mark, you know, I think Mark Fisher works well with capital with, um, John Carpenter, just as figures because Fisher, um, first of all, he he was, he loved, uh, music. He was a, quite a popular writer and blogger on music and he loved punk rock. And so he loved this kind of alternative uh, scene that I think Carpenter works so well with. Yeah. And um, yeah. And he, and he, uh, he, you know, he was also uh, a proponent of alternatives to, to capitalism, you know, socialism and, and other forms of um, political um systems that would provide some kind of alternative to capitalism uh, and his work, I think too, really, to me, it kind of ch- chimes well with, with Carpenter's work because he really wanted to reach everybody. He didn't want to be a thinker yeah. who was elite. You know, he didn't want to be somebody who only academics with certain degrees and certain fields could read. He wanted to be somebody that could read. And I've always found he has, he does reach people. He, everybody that I've recommended, I've taught his book, the number of times and students in the class, there's always a good number of students invariably who say that it was the favorite, favorite thing that they read that awesome. semester. And it just really, yeah. yeah, it really speaks to them. I think that's great. So, so Fisher, you know, so, so, um, he has this text, uh, capitalism, capitalist realism, and it speaks to the way in which, um, capitalism creates uh, a pervasive atmosphere, he says, that precludes anything outside it. One of the things that's interesting is he, he compares capitalism in that film, uh, in the film, in that book, to uh, Carpenter's movie, The Thing, The Monster in The Thing. Yeah. You know, he says it kind of like adapts and absorbs everything into itself. Yeah. Um, and so he says capitalism comes to occupy, seamlessly occupy the horizons of the thinkable. And... And that within it, there's like no outside to it. That it just sort of like it, you know, it, it comes um, to 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 pervade everything about our lives, so that it's hard to even imagine it outside. And so he, one of the things he does, he he depicts this as um, a real failure of the imagination. And mm. I think that's a really interesting thing that like because capitalism absorbs 
our our entertainment world so thoroughly it's hard to imagine a way out of it and or even imagine something that's not capitalistic something that's actually just outside of the world of capitalism yeah. uh, and he he it, it, he calls this uh, he's got an interesting word for this he calls this pre-corporation because he says that you know before and he really envisions this as something that happens in the reagan thatcher era i think something yeah. that before the 80s he says you know there was a point where there were resistances there were movements outside it. There was subversion and subversive thinking and thought and subversive art. Yeah. But th- that was always at some point, he says, incorporated, right? Capitalism can just absorb things. You know, dust capital can become a commodity. You know, you can have, you've got Che, che Guevara t-shirts, et cetera, yeah, yeah. et cetera, you know? And, um, and so, <clears throat> um, he says it was always incorporated, but then he says in the eighties, or some sometime thereabouts, you have what he calls pre-corporation, which is that it's there's already a space for that alternative thing within capitalism. And so before you even create it, it's already a commodity. And so there's <laughs> not even really a moment of there's not even so he, you know his example, one of his big examples is music in Nirvana. Like Nirvana yeah. is this like radical, you know, subversive reaction against culture that MTV instantly recognizes this is going to be the best selling thing, right? Yeah. Cause that's what people want. And what I like about Fisher is he really links those together. It's like, since it's so pervasive and so all encompassing, the one thing that you lack is something original, something new, something outside, something with actual difference. And so if you can create that, that's the hottest commodity. And so that, right. Then you have this like, you know, for instance, you have a label alternative. If you've got a, like a label on, on, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 whether in the record store or in iTunes or whatever, yeah. alternative music, and it fits in there already, then it's already <laughs> pre-corporated, right? It's not really alternative. Yeah. I mean, you can walk um, into like the biggest yeah. bookstore in the world and uh, there's like a whole section on left-wing literature, you know, and you can right. uh, like get, you know, cash yeah. that out to someone who's working minimum wage uh, yeah. and walk out and I don't know, try to participate <laughs> in the revolution a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's bleak. Yeah. No, it is like, there's such a, yeah, like that's so crazy to think about how there's something, there's already a box like ready for it to fill. Uh, yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, that's right. It's, it's already there. And you, you step into that box already as a commodity when you're trying to provide something yeah. that resists the system. Yeah. And that just destroyed Kurt Cobain. Like he, he, yeah. he saw it and yeah. freaked out. And yeah. Like, yeah. Other yeah. things have happened like that too. Uh, like Calvin and Hobbes, uh, the guy who <laughs> yeah. wrote that, yeah, like didn't want that to be yeah. like a thing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he never like licensed yeah. a TV show or, uh, any, um, like any art that you see that's being sold of Calvin and Hobbes, that's not the books, uh, is unlicensed. Um, huh. yeah, I didn't realize uh, that. That's cool. Yeah. That's yeah, totally that's contraband. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there are people who recognize it, but the thing is, is, you know, under the current system, the most shameless and the most reproducible things, uh, are forced to rise to the top. Yeah. It's it's really wild, which is crazy yeah. because yeah, is. this movie, like, kind of also like that, uh, opened number one in the box office, yeah, even though it's this right. B movie. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, apparently it was very briefly at number one, but it was it, it hit number one, yeah. and um, and I think that's the, the 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 magic of John Carpenter, right? Is that he can be subversive and popular, and there's something. And and one of the questions I want to bring up, like, is that so? This is what eighty eight, right? Is is yeah. uh, if they live? So this is like towards the end of the the Reagan Thatcher era. So this is pretty well into the time zone that that Fisher's marking that capitalist realist period and and i think that's a pretty good i mean i don't think you have to follow fisher i think that's a pretty i think people would accept that position more generally right that like the 80 the 70s the 60s and the 70s you had a cultural subversion um and you had a lot more creativity in general and in popular culture things could be surprising and unusual in the 80s it became super corporate and so this is now like get but it's still late 80s and he's still getting this out there and it's still uh there's something that just feels really fresh yeah and um you know i mean you think about like i i think about this movie it's like there's it's it's just it still has this ability to surprise you this sense that it could do anything (laughs) like wow you can just do that in a movie yeah no it's crazy i kept on there's every time i watch this movie there's a moment where i'm like holy shit like that was already a problem back then like (laughs) you know yeah um yeah and and this is like a this you can show this solution in a movie like uh yeah there's yeah they talk about uh climate change which wasn't even that widely accepted. Uh, that was a really, that was, that, that, yeah, like, that was, I noted that too. It was a really, yeah, that was a really eerie moment too. Cause yeah, it was so um, prophetic, you know, yeah. it was like, and, and it was the moment, right. When they're in that part, they, they meet up with that underground group um, for the first time, sort of like officially in there. And is it Gilbert who says that? And he said, or is it the guy that the bearded guy on the TV? Yeah, they got on the TV. So like they're, they're, they're the Earth's climate, you know, the CO2 levels are warm, changing, or, you know, getting higher. Yeah. And he says they're at, they're like acclimatizing the Earth. Yeah. Right. To their climate. <laughs> and so there's like this weird sense of like the sci-fi element, but also global warming. Yeah, right. It's 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 creepy. Yeah. It's so. Yeah. No, it's a movie where like yeah. the allegory is just so thin resting over the top, you know, uh, yeah. but it's perfect that <laughs> yeah. way. Like or I think we're getting a little yeah. ahead of ourselves. So uh, I yeah. think with this first section, uh, what we're wanting to do is um, kind of just, like bring up a bunch of stuff about the movie, not necessarily spoil it. Uh, and then mark a moment where we're going to get into really heavy spoilers of the film uh, that uh, you can just like break off then and uh, go watch the movie with like all these ideas in tow, uh, a lot of which you've already laid out. Um, or you can just keep on like steamrolling through the podcast because uh, I think there's a lot of movies we're going to talk about it in a way uh, and we're going to talk about mostly movies uh, that it's OK to spoil, that it doesn't ruin the effect at all. Um, unless you want to be shocked with how like prescient and uh, spooky this movie is. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. yeah. Cause it's like, there's so many, one of the things that like makes me, uh, that this movie makes me think about too, is that like, we haven't solved any problems since the 1980s in this country. Like oh, they've yeah. really only gotten yeah. worse. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Everything, everything. Uh, I, you know, I, I kind of flipped around online a little bit. 
uh, just to get some reactions. And I noted there are some people that were saying like, oh, well, in the 80s, there was this feeling of, you know, yuppies and stuff. And I thought, yeah, that's great. I mean, it, we're, we're so much worse now, right? If anything, <laughs> you know, it, it's just gotten more intense, you know, like the the 1% thing and everything and the, yeah. the inequity and all of this stuff has just become more, even more extreme and more, um, uh, emphasized since then. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it, it, he was really right on and we've only gone further in the direction that he was looking at. Yeah. And showing us. Yeah. No, it is like, uh, you're talking about that kind of moment that happened in the eighties and this is such like John Carpenter and like the commentary and, and like all the stuff around this movie, it was just like, this movie's about Ronald Reagan. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it was just yeah. like, it's straight on. Like this is Reaganomics. It's, you know, it's showing that like, this yeah. is, it's just a thinly veiled plan from the elite to uh, yeah. like yeah. Uh, cut off resources from the have nots, you know, uh, yeah. and to strengthen the uh, like divide uh, between uh, the haves mm-hmm. and the have nots. Yeah. 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 Apparently I read somewhere that he um, kind of, I don't know if he slipped up or at some point in an interview um, just called the aliens Republicans. (laughs) 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 I think it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. 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 But uh, do you, do you want to give us a a quick little synopsis of the movie before we get into it? Um, Oh, sure. Yeah. I want to talk more about that allegory idea that you brought up, but let's, but you want to give them a little synopsis and then we'll kind of like walk through some of it. Yeah. So kind of at its core, uh, this movie, um, it, it follows this guy, uh, whose name we actually don't ever hear. Um, I think mm-hmm. like it's been thrown around that his name is Joe or John, uh, but in the story it's based off of, uh, his name is, uh, George Nada and the credits, mm-hmm. he's just like credited as, as Nada, you know, just like nothing. Yeah. Uh, and right. yeah, he starts off great. the movie. Yeah. He's just nothing. Like he's a homeless guy. He got pushed out of work, uh, in some, uh, County somewhere, uh, had to come to LA to look for more work. Um, and he's just trying to like find his way. And there's, uh, this like great line in it, um, near the beginning of the movie where he just says, I believe in America. I follow the rules. <laughs> Yes. And yeah. that's in response to uh, Keith David having this like amazing speech yeah. about um, uh, he says, we gave the steel companies a break when they needed it. And you know what? They gave mm-hmm. themselves raises the golden rule. <laughs> he who had the, who has the gold makes the rule. Yeah. That's a great phrase right there. This movie is so full of great lines yeah. just that just like whether they're one liners or dialogue, but yeah, the golden, the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. Just fantastic. Awesome. That's such a, I mean, that's brilliant. It's, like, it's kind of like you said, it's that, like, it's cutting through the bullshit. It's just like flat on, like, you know, speaking to the people, yeah. like this is just how it is. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's right. You know, and it, and it sets up that great moment right away. The characters have, like you said, nada, the characters have this very kind of like allegorical, um, uh, layer to them or nuance to them. And, uh, right away you have these two American types, like nada, he's a nobody, but he's an everyman. Uh, but they're also working class. But then you have these two types where you've got Frank, who is like, uh, somebody who, 
uh, is marginalized and feels and knows he's marginalized. And that's something we could talk a little bit more of too, is about the race uh, yeah. aspect of the film, like clearly much more buried, but clearly there, right. There's clearly a whole bunch of aspects that are very interesting about race. And, you know, as a, as a black American, he's somebody who feels marginalized and expresses it, articulates it perfectly, yeah. you know, look, the system is against us. And then you have Frank, uh, or sorry, and then you have Nada, who's this working class person who's like, uh, no, I believe in the American dream, yeah, right? Basically, yeah. he's saying like, I'm the, I'm the, you know, the guy who's like not political, you know, so to speak. But, but you know, I just kind of like, I work and I believe in this dream and I'm just going to um, invest myself in that no matter what. And then it's, I think obviously it's very appropriate that he's the one who gets the glasses that reveals the world to him yeah. almost by chance. And so he's the convert who then has to convert yeah. <laughs> um, uh, his friend. Frank, it's kind of uh, kind of an irony to that, but it's also really, I think, appropriate. It's uh, it's one of my favorite like plot lines. Uh, is that like awakening thing? And there's, you know, it's a little bit like Joseph Campbell, like the hero's journey, but in this, it's about like you know awakening to injustice more than like some secret untapped power that you have. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 theme of waking up because that's such a a fraught loaded um, <laughs> motif in our world yeah, right now yeah. in so many different ways. And I think that uh, maybe we can come back to this, but maybe later in the, in the, in the discussion, because it comes back to the ending, but I think that's, that's right. It's really clearly, it's a very, uh, I think this is a very political and a very um, clear sighted critique of like, you're waking up to the oppression and to something about ideology. And I think that's maybe the most unique thing about the film is this is a film dead on about ideology. You cannot get yeah. more clear <laughs> that this is a film about ideology. It's not, you know, just about uh, oppression. It's not just about race. It's not just about, you know, uh, inequality in the country. It's about ideology and how it functions. Yeah. And I think it's one of the only movies I can think of that takes that on so directly. There's not, there's not many. No, right. totally. There's a few maybe, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's definitely um, one of the few like well-known Western movies that does it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like, and in such yeah, like a yeah. great, yeah, thinking, like yeah. metaphorical, like heightened sci-fi way, uh, but, but not too heightened, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. So mm -hmm. the, I guess to just continue the, to yeah figure out the summary. Yeah. He gets to LA. Uh, this guy takes a liking to him. Uh, he starts working on a construction site um, and doesn't have a place to sleep because he's, you know, he's homeless. And it's also like one of the few movies I've seen where uh, homelessness is depicted in like a really real uh, way. The like yeah. weird terror of it and just like the kind of uh, microaggressions like he gets like fucking like boss mm -hmm. at the construction site. The foreman like tells him he can't sleep on the site, uh, mm -hmm. kicks him out. Mm hmm. Yeah, just going to jump in for a second and say there, too, like, even those first scenes, you know, even just working, like, just just real manual physical labor. There's something about that construction site scene where just he's just filling in them, like, shoveling and picking, you know, uh, uh, that, that seemed to me it's rare to see that just so clearly depicted in a movie. There's nothing, uh, there's no other narrative about that. It's just here they are, they're working yeah. all day, you know, yeah, he's just toiling. In LA. Yeah. Like there's right. see all the yeah. smog and everything too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he goes to this, uh, homeless encampment where people, you know, like make hot meals and all that. And then the people who run it are also on the side of uh, doing some funky stuff in a church and, uh, to make 
uh, a somewhat long story short, they're constructing these glasses and are part of this like revolutionary network who are aware of uh, aliens uh, that have secretly at an unknown point in history, which is crazy, like uh, infiltrated human society um, Mm -hmm. and have created like a uh, elite divide. Um, and as well as this blanket of control, which is spread through TV antennas, uh, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, the, the scene that really kicks off the action of the film is, um, the homeless encampment is, uh, bulldozed, which is also Mm -hmm. a crazy, terrifying scene. Uh, like, yeah, it's it's, cool scene. Yeah. Uh, and that's something like I had friends who were, uh, out in, uh, like Southern Oregon just recently, um, uh, protecting people, like helping people get their stuff moved before, uh, it got cleared out Mm. by cops. Um, and, uh, the cops showed up and they just start throwing stuff in the trash. Like, uh, like a a nine-year-old girl's like book collection. They started tossing them in the trash. Like as the girl was, was there. Um, yeah. and well. like crying. Yeah. And so it was, it's this again. Yeah. Like it's one of those things where it's only gotten worse. And those, those, uh, camp, yeah. uh, clearings, uh, which is a great euphemism <laughs> have been happening, uh-huh. uh, in LA just recently, like they're, they're constantly making the news, um, even during mm-hmm. the pandemic that they've, they've kept that, uh, that up. Yeah. Wow. And it just like really shows like the casual inhumanity of it and like the, the cruelty uh, I mm-hmm. feel like, and it really does like whenever you see that oh, yeah. in real life, it does feel like, like, you know, you want to believe that there's an alien race controlling these people, you know, <laughs> but it's just people who like think yeah. like aliens who, who don't see other people like people. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's really true. And like, you know, it, it does, I think you're right. Like the pandemic has really highlighted this because we see, uh, you know, being in Portland, we see tents all over the place and homeless people who have nowhere to go and, um, and have to just camp out and then they get moved and kicked out. There was one, a couple of that have been moved in Portland. I didn't see the moving of them, but you always wonder how did they move them? Where did they go? You know, what happened? And it's scary. And then, yeah, the idea of like, I I like that point about like, you know, it makes you, it does, you know, I mean, that it like makes them feel like aliens. I mean, there is sort of a sense in which there's this, that, that the film I think really does well tap into very well, which is that there's this radical inhumanity at the heart of that, that iniquity that capitalism um, sets up in our society, it is almost ontological, right? There's this like inhumanity that's like, uh, it's, it's really, it's just, it's, it's got a, underlying brutality. We don't see it. We don't want to see it. It's not our face, but there's this, you know, sense in which, it really, I mean, I almost can't say it better than it. it's like aliens. It's like you look at, you know, right. Especially with race, you know, you look at yeah. like, you know, the, 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 the George Floyd thing and Derek Chauvin and you look at like that kind of that, that's, that's not just, it's more, even more than inhuman. You know, it's like yeah. even more than like, it, you know, that there's, there's something like that Chauvin is just like some kind of creepy alien thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, right. Just disconnected it's like, from whatever even... sense of human morality to like that we all yeah. ought to be born with. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah, yeah it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, it's, it's, it's good to say, I'm glad we're getting this uh, into this on episode one. Like <laughs> this yeah. is great. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, the current system capitalism, like needs people like, uh, George Nada in it. It needs like insecure mm-hmm. laborers who will, uh, mm-hmm. like work for pennies. Um, and mm-hmm. who, uh, it's easy to, like get to obey, you know, uh, who don't yeah. have oh, yeah. a, a safety net or a foundation to like fight, uh, with whether, you know, and like, and mm-hmm. use, um, to fight back, like whether that's a union or a savings account or, uh, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. uh, anything like there's a really specific thing that began, uh, in full in the eighties under Reagan, of, of creating a, an extremely insecure workforce. Um, and, uh, also like generating the, the, uh, prison pipeline as we know it today, uh, that mm-hmm. like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is, it's the way that, uh, the aliens thrive, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. There's a great point where, uh, who's the character who says, is it, uh, Gilbert, I think who constantly is, he's frequently the one who's kind of like, giving you the background to the, to the, to the allegory. I think he says like the earth is their third world, you know, yeah. and I think you're right that it goes back to, right. It goes back. Capitalism needs a disposable labor force. It goes back to colonization, to third world countries, to, you know, uh, indigenous peoples, to, to, to the land enclosure acts in England, you know, where you're, you're, you know, creating all this homelessness and, and, and poverty and then using that, those, those uh, populations as workforces, disposable workforces that you can exploit. So it's a it's a history of exploitation that really um, underpins our whole culture. And this film, I think, does a great job of. And I, you know, it, to come back to something you said too, and link it to that. It's interesting. You mentioned the history of it. I think that's a really there's a really interesting ambiguity about that in the film. Like when yeah. and and a couple of characters sometimes ask, "Well, how long has this been going on?" I, I think it's so interesting and. Um, one the, the the at one point the bearded I think it was the bearded guy on TV he's known I think as the bearded guy <laughs> in the screenplay yeah, right yeah. and um and I think he says eighty years for some reason but then another mm-hmm. one later it says like this this has been going um in a way that somebody says something like in a way this has always been happening or have they yeah. always been with us or something like that right. so there's something really interesting about the ambiguity about <laughs> that past that I, lo- that I love. I think it's really, I, I want to come back to it because I think it, it touches upon the ending of the film, yeah. like where it's going and where it's, you know, what's the history of it. But yeah, that's, yeah. That's no, there's right. this great quote. Uh, um, yeah. That actually blew my mind. It's like, we are their third world. Like, uh, yes. what an incredible yeah. like update to the alien invasion <laughs> narrative. Cause so much of it, yeah, you know, yeah. like it's, it's, yeah. uh, alien invasion narrative has always been about like, what if, uh, aliens were like, uh, us like you know uh the yep. W- yep. war of the worlds is like what if uh we were the indigenous peoples um mm-hmm. and um and then like mm-hmm. yeah someone came to get us and it's a really you know it's it's like kind of fraught uh but it and especially because you know you can get like it, the the metaphor can get muddled there um but like 
updating it as um, the aliens are neoliberals, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, or yeah, like yeah. center right, <laughs> you know, figures is <laughs> yeah, yeah. so fantastic. Uh, and because, yeah. yeah, I think, I think yeah. that, um, and, and uh, Nada's response to this, like he, he finds this out, he's wearing the glasses, he like sees that there are like aliens among us and these like subliminal messages everywhere. And he just starts going on like a murderous rampage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. like, uh, I think uh, really funny. And this like great, like uh, yeah. face heel turn response to um, like, and, and like, you know, cause he, he rightly recognizes uh, all of the oppression, like, uh, and all of the, like the fact that this was like hidden from him and all this, uh, like exploitation is going on as, as violence, as violent as, mm-hmm. um, as, as, as much as genocide, like, uh, cause yeah. what they're doing is just like a slow genocide. Yeah. That's a great point. And I, you know, what's interesting too, like, I really love, I mean, we can maybe talk more about Nada. He's, uh, he's an interesting character. And like the, one of the interesting things is, is, um, what sets him up to, be the hero of this film and, and how does he play it out? And so it's interesting because if we said, you know, we had said like in the beginning, he's sort of this every man who sort of accepts the American dream, but then he right away, he has this curiosity, right? So he's yeah. like, what are they doing in that church? <laughs> and he starts watching them with the binoculars mm-hmm. and he goes in to kind of explore and he finds the box with the glasses. He's not sure what it is. So he leaves it at first, but he's constantly like trying to learn, yeah. um, and and curious what's going on in the world around him but it so it's interesting that especially compared with frank we get to talk about that great fight scene right <laughs> where he, he does not want to put on the glasses uh, put but, these on. but look you crazy mother put these on hey stay away from me i'm telling you you dumb son of a when nada puts on the glasses and he looks around you know he just like right away he's like okay i get it you know it's really interesting so it's like it yeah. kind of makes sense though because he's like look, here are the rules. And I've, I understand the rules you're giving me in capitalism. I'm just going to try to work within these rules. And then it's like, wait a second, the rules have changed. They weren't what you told me. There's something different. And there's something about that reality. Like I've just, I just accept this new reality and he almost has fun with it. Right. It's almost like, (laughs) like you said, he goes on a killing spree, he goes to a bank. He's got that great line, (laughs) that famous line, right. I came here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm out of bubble gum. Uh, you know, that's that, but that's like, he's like, okay, there's new rules, right? And I'm going to go with the new rules. Really is what he does. And it's, I think that's, you know, that's a really interesting thing about his character. Like I can instantly. And so one of the things about that, that I wanted to bring it back to Fisher's book is Fisher talks about um, the reality principle. And uh, this is where Mm -hmm. he kind of gets a little deeper. He gets a little deeper into like Lacanian theory and stuff. And um, there's a great chapter in his book called Capitalist Realism and the Real. And um, yeah. he uses this this concept of Lacan called the real, which is a, a psychoanalytic concept that Lacan really develops and Zizek really takes over from Lacan. And uh, it's kind of the idea that there's some kind of like imperceptible X, uh, an unrepresentable X or a lack at the heart of your world that you can't see directly. And yet it kind of structures your, your world. Yeah. And, um, and one of the interesting thing Fisher talks about is capitalist realism constructs our reality because our, what, what Freud calls our reality principle, like the way we construct our reality is actually, it's not like 
it doesn't belong to the objective world. It's our principle. It's a reality principle. And in fact, it's malleable. First of all, it can change. And the other thing about it is uh, he quotes wonderfully from Zupancic in this text where he talks about Zupancic points out, actually, the reality principle is itself kind of ideological because what it does is it takes our situation and it says, this is like a natural objective reality. Yeah. And it just causes us to kind of tune ourselves into that. Right. And I think, and so the real is like what's beyond that, but it's not like some positive real that you <laughs> like it's actually happening. It's just a very something. It's almost like you could almost say it's like a distortion in the system that you can never see as a system yeah. that creates it. And so you have to kind of like, it's like a blind spot. Um, and so like the interesting thing here is like, there's something about the film, I think wonderfully as for that character of Nada, that the film through him shows us that reality is itself ideological, right? Cause yeah. like, he's the one who can quickly shift. He's like, okay, so this is reality, right? <laughs> uh, this is the, my, my reality principle adjusts right away to this. And, and I can, and I can now work within this new thing. There's something really radical about that, that you can somehow you know, show or illustrate the idea that the reality principle is itself ideological. And there's in a way that's, I think maybe the most powerful thing about the film is yeah. like, that's what you're showing. Like, you know, it's not like go to the Caribbean, it's consume. You know? <laughs> like the, the sign behind the sign is like, is like your reality is an ideology. It's not, you know, it's not, um, it's not, it's not a fantasy away from the reality it is the reality yeah it's it's so great to show just how much of everything has like this other thing going on you know uh yeah there's there's yeah. the thing and then there's the other thing uh lying yeah. underneath and in this it's like it's so clearly illustrated that it, it's like an iconic image you know uh mm -hmm. shepherd fairy even stole it <laughs> um and and commodified <laughs> <Yeah>. it uh <laughs> Uh, yeah. which it, it kind of sucks, but it's extremely typical. And it like, it proves the, uh, yeah. the point of the movie, you know? Yeah. I think that Carpenter's great about that is like the sunglasses, you know, there's something so, um, simple about that. Like there's yeah. a simplicity to that that just works really well. And I think you have to know, it's not easy to get that simplicity. It looks, it looks easy, but it's not at all easy. You have to kind of really know what you're doing, you know, no, yeah. to get it through in such simple ways. Well, and that's the great thing is like, I think that, uh, and when it comes to filmmaking of this, uh, there's so many people who try to make these, uh, like somewhat didactic and message, you know, uh, like, uh, uh, ideological movies, you know, trying to like get people to like wake up and all that. Uh, but like, um, people's they, you know people do not have coherent ideologies most of the time especially americans you know uh yeah so yeah. there's so many works out there that like try to be about something but they miss the mark in a huge way uh sicario 2 is my favorite example of this where like they have like this vague idea of like the CIA is doing bad things and like the conflict at the border is bad, but they end up making like this, like <laughs> maybe like a fundamental, like right wing text, like, uh, <laughs> almost a hundred years <laughs> after like birth of a nation comes out, you know, um, wow. it's, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Donald Trump used, uh, uh, images from the movie and spoke about them as if they were real, uh, probably because he saw, um, like oh, right. commercials for it on Fox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
And yeah. so, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're irresponsible, if you're, if you're loose with your imagery, uh, like stuff can get co-opted in a serious way and or your message can be muddled and like not reach people in the right way. Um, and this yeah. movie, uh, is fantastic and how like dialed in, uh, all of that is, yeah. uh, like a small contingent of neo-Nazis, uh, used it, uh, the imagery, uh, for, uh, anti-Semitic reasons. They were like, this movie is about yeah. like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, like Jewish people yeah. controlling the world. And, um, John Carpenter well, like is, came out and yeah. like very explicitly was like, that's like uh, unsupported by the movie. Uh, I hate all Nazis. This movie's yeah. about Reagan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, two things. One, I mean, in terms of like that misinterpretation, the problem is nowadays, I think so many people just don't know how to read metaphor yeah. and understand things figuratively. And they take things, they, they, they take things that's particular, um, literal level that just it, it just it makes it you know you just can't blame that on the work of art you know i right. think that that like if you just can't even see that there's a metaphor here then the art's not going to reach you you know what are you going to do <laughs> but, but i and i and i and i think that's a very really pervasive thing i think that's a big part of the whole woke you know world and the idea of like the red pill and stuff like that yeah. is that actually people they don't know how to understand things with any degree of metaphor it's just everything is so literal that it's kind of scary and that's why you have these conspiracy theories and i yeah. think that's important that that's not what this movie is right yeah. it's not a conspiracy theory film it's a fantasy film that exposes the the structure of your reality and our reality and capitalism yeah I will say, though, like, I think that you're right. I think this movie, it's just so dead on. It's so dialed in, as you said. Uh, the the only thing I could pick out if there's like a way in which it's a little bit off that could lend misinterpretation is maybe just the reference to authority. You know, when it's like, mm. when it's like, oh, it's like, um, don't question authority. Just that little bit. Like, I think it's much more interesting when it's just honed in on capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism controls you when you see like like the obey thing is great because it doesn't say obey what it's like obey like oh, it's like an obey. ad yeah <laughs> it's just obey and what are you obeying you're obeying the laws of consumerism right you're obeying your own desires which are the way that you're enslaved you're enslaved by what you think you desire that's the brilliant thing about the film and so i think that like there's a, and it's, there's only a very little of that there right it's not really about the government and it's yeah. not really about authoritarianism. It's about capitalism and ideology. So yeah. I think that's great. There's a little bit like just a little, little bit that I think could lend some misinterpretation there or some um, different readings. Yeah. But, you know, less radical readings. But yeah. otherwise, well, I think great it's really line towards on, the end yeah. that kind of undermines yeah, the idea of uh, of it being just about like authoritarian governments, uh, because uh, mm -hmm. who's the one guy? Um, yeah. One of their like uh old buddies um who used to be homeless yeah. uh turns up later yeah. and he's yeah. uh, at a black tie event uh for um <laughs> the aliens mm -hmm. um yeah i remember yeah and this is about when we're going to be getting into like the second half of the movie so uh yeah, yeah that's like a mild spoiler uh for that so if you wanted to uh turn it off we've got like a pretty solid foundation and uh feel free to come back afterwards and uh uh yeah. yeah, keep up with the rest of the movie. But there's this amazing line, uh, there ain't no countries anymore. They're running the whole show, you know? Yeah. Uh, yep. That's right. Yeah. 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 And another prophetic line, right? Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Well, it was it's talking just, about yeah. too, like, uh, you know, 
the people who got Reagan elected were it was an international it, like group of rich people. Like they had mm-hmm. stakes in all kinds of stuff, like mostly oil. It was these like oil guys uh, kind of made mm-hmm. Reagan uh, what he was, you know, who was this like oh, yeah. yuppie guy yeah. and um, that they contracted to like make commercials uh, for oil and like anti-union mm-hmm. PSAs uh, is like how he got like uh, his, his start uh, in acting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's right. And, and look at the, look at the dark money in politics now, you know, more yeah. than ever, that's all corporate, you know, w- corporate wealth basically that goes into politics and, and, and that, that sense of like, there are no countries. I mean, that really is, it's kind of like a global uh, corporate world rather than a, a government yep. uh, state, you know, a nation state. So I think that that's right. That's a really good, uh, another really prophetic yeah. moment in the film. Yeah. To bring it back, um, I think to the reality principle though, and to Reagan, um, Adam Curtis has this great, uh, observation about Reagan, uh, and the kind of the false reality, um, that he perfected, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And it like yeah. loops in perfectly with this. Cause it's just like, uh, you know, Reagan just constructed a false America. You know, he, he actually ran on, on the phrase, make America great again, um, in, mm-hmm. uh, several places. And, uh, you know, it just like made up this like fake America of the past that vaguely recalled, uh, you know, when like black people weren't, uh, liberated, used that to paint yeah. over stuff. He painted over his international like crimes and war crimes, like Iran Contra, um, just by saying like, Oh, I'm just like a dopey old guy. That's, I'm sorry about that. Like America's actually <laughs> good. And, and we, we really didn't know any better. You know, we're always portraying ourselves as like both like the underdog, you know, and the like ultimate ruler. <laughs> no, I think that's right. Yeah. That, that he really did create this kind of strange double narrative, this strange, like fantasy capitalist and the eighties too, like the eighties, right. were so, so, you know, glittery and superficial and surface corporate. It's when I think corporate aesthetics became uh, such, I mean, look at the, look at the contrast between the, the gritty seventies and yeah. the kind of glittery eighties, right. Uh, and the, 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 just the pure material fa- uh, facade that was, that was, that was such a image of the eighties. Um, and, and in fact, in the film, there's a great moment, talk about prophetic things in the film. There's a, there's a, there's a moment, you know, so much stuff happens through TVs, right. Which is a very, um, important part of like the, 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 the fluidity between the real world and the world of the TV is really, um, very marked in the film. And then, so there's a, there's a point where there's a fashion show ad on the, on TV. Oh, Do you remember that? Yeah. And there's, yeah. And it's great. And the <laughs> stuff that they're saying is like, it's like, um, out with the glitter in with divine excess. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and it's something about like a gay abandoned r- rushes to meet the roaring nineties, yeah. which is really amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's so dead on, right? It's like, it's like 88. It's like, you know, the the glitter of the eighties is starting to merge into this kind of like roaring nineties, uh, of, of, as she said, the the ad says divine excess, divine excess. um, Yeah. 
<laughs> crazy. <laughs> and, and it's it's dead on. Like that's the nineties, yeah. right? Like he really he really nailed it on that one. Yeah. Um, in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. Which is yeah. Uh, yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, no, that yeah. was, that was crazy. That threw me for a loop. Yeah. Like the, the divine excess. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. You know, like the eighties, so much of like eighties culture that's remembered is like, uh, this, this sheen that was like thinly painted over the like burnt cinders of, uh, (laughs) of culture before it, you know, and, and culture as it was being like mutilated, uh, in that moment, like, uh, yeah. it's, it's why I'm really suspicious of stuff like, uh, like stranger things. Mm-hmm. There's like yeah. so many things these days are like eighties homages and, uh, whatever. Uh, and the kind of core conceit is, is that, uh, they're doing the eighties homage because the eighties were really cool <laughs> and like, yeah. good, you know, yeah. uh, when it's like nostalgia for the eighties, yeah, yeah, it's creepy. When like the only, <laughs> like honest things that came out of the eighties were like laced with horror, you know, just, um, yeah. Or, you know, they're like, they're like fantasies, like ET, like what if the aliens come and they're really like funny little guys and nice, uh, or, or horrors (laughs) like the thing where it's like, you can't trust your brother. You can't trust your friend. Um, because they're being driven against you by like something, uh, that like makes them something they're not, you know, and, uh, yeah. no, the, the, uh, I was thinking of earlier in the conversation about, uh, uh, actually I, I was reading my copy of, uh, capitalist realism, uh, which I printed off from my work computer, uh, without telling them, uh, <laughs> uh, after finding a PDF, <laughs> of it. <laughs> um, and, uh, we had this really slow night. I think I was, you know, I used to be a catering bartender, so I was serving like five people and they were coming up like once every 20 minutes. So I, I brought this book, uh, behind a bar with me and was reading it, you know, um, in the meantime. And, uh, he comes back, you know, and I've got like the cover up and, uh, or I think he like asked what I was reading. It's like, Oh, look at this. I just show him the cover and his like eyes get all wide and he freaks out and he's like, but, but you know, but, uh, you know, like capitalism is like, it's, it's the, it's the best system, right? You know that, right? (laughs) 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 And, uh, like two years later, he's like a full on Nazi, you know, uh, like he's, uh, he got like brain drained by Facebook and yeah, it's it's like days away from getting arrested at any given point because he's posting about like you know uh wow all that and uh it's crazy yeah and it's it is so perfectly like uh that's like part of the culture war is um proving to people that uh like there's no alternative you know and that like mm-hmm. uh all the suffering yeah. that happens under capitalism is normal and all the, any suffering that happens in any other system uh yeah. is is uh profound and horrific like people talk about like yeah. the poverty in cuba uh as if it's not our fault one you know uh mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um as if like they don't have like a far better you know uh mm-hmm. they have like a longer um 
lifespan there now than like the average American. Like, uh, oh, yeah, and their health care system their is like, great. You know, it treats everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It treats everybody. It has this level of equality to it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Fisher's really good on that too. Like that idea that, like, that, 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 that mentality of the least worst. It's not even the best. It's like, this is the least worst system. Right. You know, wh- whether you like it or not, like anything else. And, and, and Fisher, you know, I think he does really a good job of showing how it's a kind of also a rhetorical strategy where it's yeah. like anything, anytime you talk about anything outside of capitalism, you're either crazy or you're in a <laughs> fantasy world, right? right? It's just like you literally leave reality when you leave the discussion of capitalism. Yeah. And I think he's really good. And, you know, I, I there's a great, um, when I was, when I, I, one point I taught it, I, I thought uh, there's, I found a really good example and it's uh, so a kind of real world example where it, to just show how pervasive it is, um, there was a, 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 a press conference or no, there was a, a open uh, open um, uh, meeting with uh, Nancy Pelosi, kind of like a city hall oh, I remember uh, this. meeting. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and there was a, a student there and, you know, they were doing these questions. There's, there was a student who got the last question supposed to be like the softball question. And, and he's, he asked her about, you know, about, he said, you know, there's a, there's been a study, um, uh, done, done by Johns Hopkins university that said that, you know, like 50 something percent of people between the ages of, I think it was like 18 and 35, um, see capitalism itself as the problem and, and this have a negative view of it. What do you think of that? And without skipping a beat, Nancy, Nancy Pelosi just responded, well, look, we're capitalists, but, and then she went on <laughs> to some, like, how do you, you know, yeah. but there was like that. I thought, you know, it's a perfect example is like, you just like cross the line of reality. Let's go back into reality. And to go back into reality, you have to say, we're in capitalism. There's no outside. Like yeah. she almost had to say that, you know? And so, I think Fisher does a good job of, of saying that. And, and so I think, to, you know, to, to maybe bring it around again to the film, you know, this film shows you that you, cause, cause, you know, I think a great, his first chapter in the, in the book is titled, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Yeah. Which he takes a quote from Zizek, um, uh, but, but makes it into like a whole thing. And, and, and I think this film is an example, an exception to that, whether it disproves it or not, you could, you know, you could take issue or, or, or make a claim on that, but it's, <laughs> but it's an exception to that. It's a place where you can imagine, you know, the, you can imagine something creative that's new outside of capitalism or some seeing the crack, you know, this movie really just makes a whole thriller out of finding the cracks and fissures of capitalism and exploring those. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like a uh, part of the other aspect of the reality principle uh, and, and just uh, the real uh, as uh, it's brought up in um, like uh, uh, psychoanalysis like that is that, um, yeah, so often the real is this, is this kernel, you know, uh, this, uh, this like tiny thing that like uh if if you look through it like a pinhole shows this like uh whole different world you know and uh and it's and it's it's uh you know constantly moving and it's barely there but it's it's acquirable in like these tiny little itches and i think like as you were describing like uh, george nada he has that itch he's like he believes in america but he's curious you know and I think that that's like kind of an itch yeah. that's led me to a whole bunch of different yeah. places in my life, you know, where it's like, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't, I can't just accept something 
if it feels like mostly good, but there's like maybe a kernel that's like uh, sideways, you know, it's like watching a TV with a dead pixel, you know, like your attention is always going to drift back to that dead pixel. And like, you want to fix it. Like you want to, you want to figure out what it's doing. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think that that is like the true hope that like might shake us out of this. And like the kind of awakening, um, that they talk about in the movie, you know? Uh, and, uh, I don't know right now it seems like optimistic, especially like, I mean, every single year that this movie's been out, like, uh, makes it a little more like scary and sad, like just showing how long these problems have existed and how long they've been, uh, not just unaddressed, but Mm -hmm. like doubled down on. Um, and you're just like, you're waiting, you're waiting like all these guys for the, uh, like, awakening for people to like come out of the uh the what do they call it the artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep (laughs) um and i think that's a good transition into the the fight scene and i'm gonna crack my beer um Yeah. So, what did you what do you make of that that fight? What is it? Ten minute fight scene or something? It's like, like that? five minutes and twenty seconds, but it, it's that's long. That's is that's it? fucking long. Because I hear all these, it is long. Yeah, and it's so great. Yeah. It's supposed to be like thirty seconds yeah. or whatever, but um, Keith David and Rowdy Roddy Piper uh, practiced it uh, in like a backyard uh, for uh, like <laughs> weeks, apparently, and then. Um, showed it to John Carpenter and he was like, this, this rocks, like we're going to keep it all in. Um, and, uh, every single time they hit each other, except for the face and groin is, uh, is a genuine hit. Um, and you wow. can tell too, like Keith David actually gets like suplexed yeah. in this, <laughs> like full on <laughs> hits the cement. Um, well, it's so cool. It's so great. Yeah, and it's a pretty uh, gritty scene of the fight. They're yeah. both um, like coughing and staggering around. And then they like their their um, stamina just degrades <laughs> as it goes. And they get like, uh, yeah. so tired. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so it really is one of the most realistic fight scenes. I mean, fight scenes, but like in the sense, yeah, like they look like they're really being hurt um, and they look yeah. beat up. That's one of the things I love is like afterwards, especially Roddy Piper, he just looks like shit, you know, he looks like, <laughs> like utter crap. Yeah. You know, both his cheeks are totally swollen and red and he, he just, you know, <laughs> often they look like the, you know, the, the hero has been in a fight. He's just kind of like a cool scar over his eye or something like, yeah, yeah. you know, he actually looks like cooler in some way, but he just really looks like crap. Oh, somebody actually sees they get out, they get through it like, uh, completely unscathed, you know, um, and they're like got a scar or whatever, yes, like you're yeah. saying, uh, but they're still operating at like 200%, like moving just as fast, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, so Zizek, you know, talks about that scene, you know, it's kind of a key thing. And he talks about how does. Uh, it's great because it's it, it's sort of and, he, you know, he loves that it's sort of like too long. It almost seems irrational. Like, why does Frank resist just putting on a pair of sunglasses, you know, this for this whole fight? <laughs> Um, and, and he points out like that irrationality points to something, some other meaning, which is that like, it's an allegory of how, how painful it is to let go of your ideology. Right. So no, that scene is so great. And, uh, Zizek has that incredible quote, uh, where, um, 
he in his movie um where he like edits himself into parts of the movie um and uh rowdy rowdy piper says put on these glasses or you're going to be eating from that trash can uh and then it cuts to zizek standing in front of a dumpster and he's like i'm already eating from the trash can all of the time and the trash can (laughs) is ideology (laughs) 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 which is so awesome uh and um he uses that to like launch into this thing about yeah like it is um i think the the best way to like interpret that scene so it's not just like you know a, a total parody of, of of fight scenes is that keith david like kind of knows what's up like he kind of he gets the mm-hmm. idea already yeah that um shit is even worse you know and he's like the guy who was like kind of railing against the system he was like this is terrible like you know, I have a wife and kids that I haven't seen in six months. Um, and like, he hates the system, but he doesn't want to see kind of what really lies underneath. Um, because that would Mm -hmm. almost be too horrible. He kind of just wants, uh, the like horrors of his life to remain ambiguous. Um, Mm -hmm. and to like not have shape. And I, I know a lot of people like that who, uh, just like, um, they're upset about the system, mm-hmm. but they have that belief. Like we've been talking about, like it's, it's the least, the least bad one, you know, mm-hmm. even though like, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. It, the, the, the great thing that, uh, Mark Fisher points out is that like every death that happens to someone in poverty is a death by capitalism, you know, it's preventable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And yeah, if you look at it as almost like uh, like a war, you know, or an invasion or a, a colonization of humanity, like uh, this movie does, and that's like why um, <laughs> uh, uh, Nada like immediately snaps, you know, is uh, just this mm-hmm. like horrific uh, realization that like you know these people have been doing this and like all the bad things in the world are just because like power is concentrated in them and like not yours. Yeah. And it's not mm-hmm. like all the people yeah. you love. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a great point. And that, like that first point too, about Frank, um, like preferring a horrible status quo to something unknown yeah, to something that shakes up that status quo. That that Fisher's really great on that too, because he he talks about how that least worst mentality of capitalism uh, and capitalist realism is like really like the state of the depressive, right? Because in depression, like like hope is hope is scary, right? You don't want <laughs> you 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 actually mm-hmm. want to avoid hope because because you just want you don't want any change you you know like even hope seems threatening it's like yeah. you know it, it risks being worse or other or some way yeah. uh, and you kind of cling to your depression and that's a great and i think that's a great image of that what was happening in that fight scene is like no like this is horrible but i'm in such a state of vulnerability that i i just cling to the horrible status quo and i think also it has an element of race there too right like yeah. it's, i think it's not incidental that it's that's frank who's the 
the black working class American who's like, hey, I got to keep my head down. I don't have the privilege to to walk into a bank with a shotgun right. and say, you know, in the same way, you know, you see that scene with like Nada and the cops. It's a great scene where he's really flippant because he knows they're aliens and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I do think he's aware of that sense of like, you know, especially, you know, for, for, um, people of color, for, for marginalized people, you know, it's just like, Hey, I, I, I'm even more oppressed. I got to keep my head down, you know? Um, and, and and then it's it's a really great scene. You know, the fight is a great fight, and it's like one of the great things about the fight is like there's so many endings to the fight. Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps going and going, and I, I, I think that like really enhances the set. And and that like that it kept reminding me of like um, because the, because the glasses. It was a great thing to center on the glasses, this trivial little plastic sunglasses, right? And so it's like, put them on. And at the same time, you know that it's like going to change everything, this little tiny gesture. It reminded me of uh, Hitchcock's, what Hitchcock called the MacGuffin, right? Like this little object that's kind of meaningless in itself that takes on this, like a famous case is um, uh, Strangers on a Train, where uh, the murderer drops the lighter into the sewer and he's called the, the cop and all these people who try to help him get it and he's reaching for it and <laughs> and it's just so much suspense around this little uh cigarette lighter because you know it's it more and more takes on the place of like uh guilt and innocence and right. evidence and all this stuff yeah. than the film and, and there it makes the glasses like that too you know like he's like just put on the glasses i won't put them on you know and uh and you think he's gonna put them on and he's like fuck you and he throws them at him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so much of it. Yeah. Like, um, one of the things that like made me think of, yeah, like the the multiple endings are so great. Just like all these fake outs, you know, and it's really like uh, WWE in a lot of ways. Cause that's like where, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. Roddy Roddy Piper comes from, but it's also like, it's fucking like Plato's allegory of the cave, you know, (laughs) it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. It's the yeah. kind of confrontation of the false reality and then just like uh, yeah. almost like passing through like the wormhole and like uh, the horror of it all. And like, you know, and like in that thing he talks about uh, in, in Plato's allegory, you know, he talks about like the trauma of seeing sunlight for the first time. Uh, right. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. And he also basically the basically the philosopher goes back to tell them their shadows and he gets beat up basically. Right. Like yeah. in so many words, but he's like, <laughs> they're aggressive towards it. He, like, he basically can imagine beating the guy up and like, no, and you have to like drag them out, you know, like physically, yeah. you know, like, yeah. force him. come on. Yeah, which is what like uh, ends up happening. Is. Like Roddy Roddy Piper, like has him like, you know, totally beat up and uh, like yeah. walks him out into just like the city street and says like, look <laughs> yeah you know? that's right and yeah. he yeah. looks and it's like holy yeah. shit and it's what's great about the film right is that you take he is that you know that's i think that's what's great about the film and what's great about carpenter he takes these formal generic things that are kind of cliche like the fight scene and he gives them like he put, he invests them with ideas, you know, yeah. and you don't need a big budget to do that. Yeah. You have ideas. Those go way further. It's why, like, it's why the special effects are so great in that movie. You don't need CGI. CGI says I can do anything. I can, whatever <laughs> you want to show in the whole world, I can show it. But if you don't have any ideas behind those things, they're just totally stupid and meaningless. They're right. just, they just fall flat. Right. But if you have a hundred dollars and you've got great ideas, 
you can create these great aliens that are kind of, I love the, I love them, right? They're, they're so sort of cool. like scary and yeah. funny at the same time. Yeah. You know, they're sort of like a joke, but also creepy. It, they're just perfect. They're, they're pitch perfect. He knew where, what Tony wanted and he got them. And, and it's the ideas behind the movie. And so like that is a great example. And like another cliche in the movie kind of, I, I don't want to say necessarily cliche. It can be cliche in a lot of movies, but it's a generic part of this form. And that's why it's a B movie, right? right? It's like, you don't need a lot of money and you can take the genres and the forms and you can invest them with um, something new. If you're good at like Carpenter, you have ideas. Another one is the, the underground uh, base, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, Oh, that's so cool. Like that's a running theme. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's great. You know, and he, he go, they go down there, you know, they find their, finally find their way into the underground bunker, the underground base of the, of the, um, secret elites who are ruling things, right. Whatever that might be yeah. the, the, the kind of behind the curtain that you get into the underground base. And what I love about this movie is it's like basically a stockholder shareholders meeting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, talk about like profit <laughs> margins and like, yeah, like yeah. people's income like, has increased by 39% in this room. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's like precisely. Yeah. <laughs> 39% per capita this year alone. You know, it's just like, it's a, it's, it's such a, it's just a board meeting, you know, it's, it's great. It's just the, <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's, um, yeah, it's like and, so many, it's like a parade of, of, yeah, this like, mundane imagery and then like they walk into the place and then like this guy shows them uh the like gravity launch room <laughs> yeah um, yeah i love that too yeah super yeah cool. that's the drifter guy that he's called i think and yeah. that, that um that you saw earlier on the campfire and the shanty and then yeah which is great about um, him. I, I love the stuff about him because i think like he's another character who's kind of also like uh frank you know keith davis character where um mm -hmm. he's used as this yeah. great conduit to kind of show uh like the people who um don't like to hear uh stuff that criticizes the system you know like he's a homeless guy mm -hmm. uh watching tv uh out like in in the elements and he's like oh i'm sick and tired of this like preacher like hijacking the signal and uh right that's right i'm yeah. doing this and like there's people like that like you know there's people uh like who have been convinced uh to like vote against their own interests you know who have been almost like uh what like pavlovian trained to respond to certain words which like mean like liberation and like can you know improve their lives uh and respond to them with like disgust you know um mm -hmm. I, absolutely and it's and, such a bummer yeah yeah and that character too you know that really brought, um kind of reminded me of a film that i think really influenced this um because you know he is this character from the background this drifter who's sitting around a campfire as you mentioned and like criticizing that that resistors on tv and then he suddenly appears in the end on the other side um and it's also there's kind of an uncanniness to that because you're like oh i know that guy but i think on the first watching you probably don't know from where right and he kind of went from the background yeah, into the yeah. foreground um and that and that really reminded me of uh, a film that I think really influenced this film a lot. Actually, it's a film, um, uh, brother from another planet, 
by John Sales, um, which came out, yes. I think, in around '84. Yeah, and even that, and that, and even that uh, character, the Drifter, says uh, there's a great moment where he says to them, uh, to Frank and Nada, when they're in the under- underground base. Uh, he says, you guys don't get it. It's just business, you know? And, um, and it really reminded yeah. me of a line, uh, from right. When he goes to see that he, he, the, the alien, the brother from another planet traces where the drugs came from that killed this person he sees in the street. And he finds, he traces all the way back to this corporate, um, computer mogul guy. And, um, and the guy says, you don't get it. You people don't get it. It's just business and you don't see the big picture. And there's a similar kind of wow. yeah. um, thing. And it's interesting because, yeah, yeah, it's really, and it's interesting because, you know, you have, I think you got a lot of ideas from that because in that one, which is more, less about, I mean, it's a lot about capitalism, but more explicitly about race, right? And really race and oppression and capitalist exploitation via race in this country. But it, but the aliens in that one are like slave traders, slash slave catchers right yeah yeah and and in this yeah and and then this one they're they're basically capitalists right yeah. they're on there and and he says that 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 there's that great uh line where he says um uh what does he say they're they're uh they're entrepreneurs basically yeah. right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah uh, they're they're free enterprises. They're free enterprises. They're free enterprises. <laughs> the Earth is just another developing. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's true. Like I think that's what's great is like behind the scenes is there's an allegory. It's kind of a meta allegory, right? Because yeah. you get these this fantasy this of like they're aliens controlling the world, but they're just capitalists. It's, it's right. It's like, it's just a metaphor for capitalism and you're just, you're, you know, it's just leading you, it it just leads you back to the, to the metaphor, to the critique rather than to some like other that you're positing. Yeah. That's controlling. That conversation is so great. There's so many things where like, um, I was just like, just like watching the movie and then I had to pause it, rewind, go back and like bang down like the entire text of the conversation because it was so Uh good. Yeah, it's great. Um, And he says this thing of like, they're going to let us have it good if we just help them and you can have a little taste of the good life too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which is so great. And it it shows so much like that exploitative relationship where uh, like... You know, uh, I, I was I was talking with you like earlier this week, like uh, the only comparable time to this era of wealth equality um, is is uh, the age of pharaohs. Like mm-hmm. that is uh, <laughs> like someone did like a, a, a an academic study, you know, uh, that shows that like the only other time people have had there's been like this many poor and and this few rich who are like so rich uh is when the the pyramids were built you know um and and yet like there's there's still that like contingency of people who will um like sell out their whole soul for a few more scraps just from those pharaohs, you know, just a few mm-hmm. more like yeah. tossed down the table. I would um, just, yeah. Yeah. Like all the, all the middle managers I've ever yeah. known, you know, who like shamelessly yeah. rip off and, uh, exploit like their people, even though they're barely making a salary, like above, uh, the people who they, uh, 
are the bosses of, you know, (laughs) just because they know it'll secure their position where they make like a little more every year. Yeah. 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 And I would even say it's even, it's probably even more extreme now, the iniquity. I mean, if you look at statistics, like, you know, the five wealthiest people in the world, five wealthiest, you should say men, white men in the world own the same wealth as the bottom 20 countries in the world combined. I mean, if you think about that, idea it's 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 beyond even the the pharaohs you know it's really just a whole new level um but i think that's what's so cool about the film is that like that we come back to that idea of like what waking up and where, where this differs so much from other metaphors other narratives of like um waking up to something is that what you wake up in this one to really is ultimately yourself Right. And I think that like you, you you realize that your own, you're a slave to your own desires. You're doing it to yourself and that, and that, um, you've internalized your own oppression. Then that's what capitalism is great at. And I think like, what's great is that again, that same, you were saying that same dot, that same great, amazing conversation in the, in the underground base with the drifter, he says, uh, he says, look, he says, we, we sell out, we all sell out every day, might as well be on the winning team. And that is just so dead on because like, it's, I think if you really think that through, we all sell out every day, not because earlier, uh, we had, uh, Gilbert saying, about uh the police and the government and stuff. He says like, and which is also a great line. He says, he says, you know, there, there are people who are basically colluding, joining forces with the alien. And he says, um, and they're like, really? And he's like, yeah, most of us just sell out right away. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's yeah. right. That's, that's oh, a great so line. <laughs> most of us just sell out right away. Because you get this totally right. Like you can imagine that. But then, but then this line goes one step further and it says, we all sell out every day. Yeah. Might as well be on the way of the team. And really that's capitalism. When you really think that through the idea is that like, it's true that, that you, the more you sell out, the more you accept and embrace the ideology of selling out, the, the more you can potentially profit from it. But in order to be a capitalist subject, you have to sell yourself in the first place, yeah. right? Like that's the thing that you do is you accept without knowing. It's a, it's a choice that's made in a way for you or it's like it's basically like an unconscious choice. You know, as right. soon as you become a subject under capitalism, you say, I – in order to be a part of the system, I have to sell my labor, right? Yeah. I have to make, like, my labor is a commodity and I have to sell it. Whatever I do, I have to take it and sell it to somebody else. And you never really think to yourself, well, maybe my labor isn't the same as every other commodity. Maybe that's particular to me. Yeah. Maybe that is me. What I do is belongs to me in some way, but no, you don't ever even have the chance to say that right away. You have to, to be part of the system. You have to say it's a commodity, whatever I do, I have to sell it to somebody else to profit from it. And that's how you have this division of labor. That's why, right. That's how you have this division of, of wealth that from the first place. And then you sell it to somebody who's essentially a capitalist and the capitalist exploits you. And so yeah. that's a great point is like you already are selling out. And so you've already taken a step down that slippery slope just by being a capitalist subject, just by right. being a person in capitalist system. And so it's so easy for that character, the drifter to say, well, why not? You know, why not be on the yeah. winning team if you've got your choice <laughs> and you're selling out anyway? <laughs> and I think like that's what's great about the movie is the movie tries to open ourselves up, open our eyes up to that, to that point in which you have to say, wow, 
what I'm looking at is my own reality and I'm part of it. I'm inscribed in it, not some yeah. other. So, so like it, it, we, the, 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 the very typical wake up ones, they always particularize and kind of in a way psychologize this waking up so that like, it's more about like the elites are particular people like so-and-so the Democrats or, you know, um, the government, this particular person. But what this shows you is that it's the structure, right? Like yeah. it's not Bezos or Zuckerberg. It's the fact that there will always be another Bezos, another Elon Musk, another Zuckerberg, another Bill Gates. There'll always be yeah. that in this system. Right. And, and so you kind of like the, the film, um, it, it gets it can it gets you to confront that and and it gets you to confront that in an entertaining playful way right you, yeah. can, you can do that like, and, what, what, that line that made me think yeah. of actually uh, of uh you know we all sell out every day is there's that one quote that floats around all the time of uh, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism um and that mm-hmm. is that like mm-hmm. no matter what if you're buying from like the most ethical like the people who get like the fair trade coffee from like the nicest spot right. ever and yeah. um <laughs> yeah. like they're still going to hire a, like a truck driver who's getting paid you know the least they can possibly be paid to cart that over on yeah. like oil yeah. that um is uh, mm-hmm. you know, extracted from the third world, uh, or from mm-hmm. like a, a horrific dictatorship like Saudi Arabia, you know, mm-hmm. um, and to a lot of people that inspires, uh, uh, paralysis, like they, they, they mm-hmm. almost use that as an excuse to be like, okay, like whatever, I'm just gonna, I'm going to do whatever I want, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. uh, I think that like, there's such a difference between a recognition of that and like still trying to do the best you can. Uh, and the, uh, absolute like, um, nihilism that so much of this can, can bring. And like, I think the difference between, uh, Nada's character and, uh, the drifter in this scenario is like the perfect, uh, like mirror of that is like you can be mm-hmm. the person who sells out mm-hmm. and who like uses that as an excuse just to you know uh immiserate like a few more people every day <laughs> uh, <laughs> or uh you can actually maybe you know try to do something and uh like mm-hmm. make it real yeah yeah, and I think that there there is like a sense in which Nada and Frank are just like fuck this. I'm not going to accept the terms of this thing. Yeah. That is the resistance, right? Like that's it. Like you don't have to necessarily like blow up the transistor, you know, <laughs> or, or like you know you kind of enter into this into this more fantasy world of the film at that point. But I think what what you identify with the, the viewer and what made it popular at a time where you were deep into the Reagan Thatcher era is that like these two characters in some way were able to say fuck you. I don't accept the terms of this system. Yeah. And and then that's it. Like that's the, as opposed to, and I think what's great is like that, that the character of the drifter is like, yes, you can sell out and being on the winning team. But when you do that, you become a they 
and not a us. And, and you become yeah. the winning team is like, what this is too, is what I think is so great about this movie is like, it, it's very Marxist in the sense of like alienation is not just for the working class who are alienated from their labor. It's for everybody because if you're in a capitalist system, if you're a working class, you're alienated from what you create because it you it's, your own work essentially goes directly into um, the pool of capital the capitalist owns. But yeah. if you are on the other side, then you say, in a way, right, what you're saying is like, okay, like the drifters, like, okay, I, I'm going to join the women team. But by doing so you become this kind of inhuman parasitic <laughs> thing. that just yeah. says like, I'm just a being who lives on consumption and greed, right? Like right. I just want to like, I just become this thing that just accumulates off people who are, are vulnerable. And then you become a they and right. And, and, and a they that has this kind of inhuman, like nobody wants to be that drifter. That's like, Hey, I, everybody sells out. I just profit from it. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think that's, that's what's great about the film is it should, I think it, 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 you, you, you kind of have to identify with Nada and Frank who, who say, yeah, I see that, but fuck that. I don't accept it. Right. Like I just don't like, yeah. that's the general. No, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And like this, this guy, yeah. yeah, you can see just like the emptiness in that. And like, even the lack of like fulfillment that comes from that level of shallowness. Um, and just to talk yeah. about the end, like yeah. Yeah. there's that aspect of, of wish fulfillment that you could just like bust out a pocket pistol and like shoot an antenna a couple of times. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, whole, the whole sheen off everything disintegrates and you like you see who like the right. real like uh, people who are exploiting you are and all that yeah so great uh, that, that, the ending is incredible yeah. like it ends at the perfect moment it does but i wanted to say like what do you think though about the moment after i think that's fa fascinating is the the way the film keeps going and so yes you have this wish fulfillment like you know that's the ending that the genre of this thriller invites yeah. like what does he achieve he yeah he gets them and it's kind of cool that he doesn't like kill all the aliens or defeat them or anything he just he breaks the illusion right the thing the transmitter that makes the illusion yeah and so now okay in that sense he wins and people can see but then it goes that few minutes further i love those last <laughs> few minutes of the yeah. movie where it's like okay and it in a way it becomes a joke Right. Because now you have these aliens that everyone can now see on TV yeah. and with you at the bar. And they kind of look like, like rotting corpses. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. It's a zombie thing, which I think is great, too. Right. It's like to become uh, um, like a like a obeying, well-functioning capitalist. You become a zombie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then. Um, but then, like, what do you make of that? So what do you make of the And the, the very interesting, too, like the very last minute is that gratuitous moment of nudity with the couple <laughs> and the woman like having sex and looking at the TV. And she sees them and then she looks down and she sees a zombie. That's such a great alien guy. I, I love the little detail, too, of like she's watching the TV and sees the guy like who's revealed as the alien. And it's yeah. like transfixed by that for like like 20 seconds and then looks down <laughs> at the guy who she's having sex with. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, an alien and he's an alien too yeah and that's the final shot of the film is like what's wrong yeah. baby or something like that like it's that line yes <laughs> and um 
I, I love it. She's watching the TV the whole time. That's a great little, like, I think almost like feminist moment. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, but like, yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where like, um, and this, this is going to come up in our, our Blade Runner discussion uh, in episode two, but um, like, it's one of those things where I wonder if that is like an optimistic take, right? Like, is... Mm-hmm. Uh, is is ripping the sheen off, like is is showing all like the organs underneath enough uh, to make yeah, people right. like want to be free from uh, mm-hmm. this system, you know? Uh, right. And uh, it's something that Blade Runner gets into, which is that like, you know, it's really yeah. plain, it's out there, but like, I, I can't help but imagine a world where you have people who are uh, like, this is all revealed. And they're like, you know, I don't know. Like the people are like acclimatizing us to an inhospitable world. But like, uh, I had like a pretty good conversation with one once and um, (laughs) like writing in the fucking like New Yorker, like (laughs) maybe we shouldn't cancel the aliens that are like uh, eventually (laughs) going to kill us all right away. You know? Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think the film opens up that possibility. It leaves it. It's an open ending. And I love open endings. And I think it it does like it leaves that open, especially that little last minute with the with the, the woman having sex, you know, this most intimate moment. And then you don't really get her response. Like she looks down and then you see him and he's like, what's wrong? And you don't know what happens. Does she have a weird moment and then say, okay, well, whatever, let's go on. And, and more generally like, yeah, like what does the culture do? If it's a culture where you have already internalized the ideology that's enslaving you. Right. And with character with, and humans have already shown themselves to sell out, right. To be like, well, if this is, if you're giving me, enjoyment and wealth, um, then, then it's okay. Well, what happens to the whole culture, right? Do they, and if the, and if, and if more, maybe even more to the point, if the reality principle is malleable in this way with ideology, right. Then is that the next moment where the culture says like, okay, you know, so capitalism is run by aliens and and they're kind of gross looking, but do we still, do we want to give it up or do we want to just incorporate that into our new reality principle and go on, uh, being the capitalist subjects that we are. And yeah. that's like, that comes back, I think, wonderfully to Fisher's point, right? Like, it's up to you, like, what what happens? Like, do you, does, is there an alternative or not? It's kind of like the film leaves it up to you, right? Like, do you, do, yeah. you, do you see the horror of your world and just say, well, I can live with that if it's if it profits me personally? Um, or do you see some need for some radical... Uh, radical change at that point. Yeah. Um, but I love that it's open. Yeah. It's really, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Well, there's this great little anecdote that I think we can end on, uh, that I was reading about of, uh, like at a, a early screening of it, there was this like teenage boy who showed up to watch it. Um, and by the ending of it, they like interview him and like John Carpenter is like at this screening, you know? Uh-huh. And this kid is like, I went into this movie, like, expecting um to see something like a regular uh b-movie action film like uh <laughs> like a red dawn or 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 something like that you know <laughs> and um yeah you know one of those movies where it's just like uh uh american ideology is so like fluidly and uh like uh seamlessly incorporated into it that like um 
it just he's able to take it at face value. But this movie is about like anti-capitalism and all that. And um, the guy, <laughs> the teenager is like visibly confused and like <laughs> has to walk away. And like, I, I can't imagine like that kid's like drive back to his parents' house of just like, yeah. you know, here's this movie yeah. uh, that like really challenged him, but also that he like yeah. really liked. Uh, and mm-hmm. what do you do? Like, what, yeah. what do you do yeah. after that? Like, where does your life go? Yeah. You know, how do you right. choose to, uh, do you internalize it? Do you like compartmentalize it and like make a whole other story? Like, do you, do you put it in the box that like capitalism had made for it already? Um, <laughs> or, or yeah. does it not really fit there? Is, is the kernel there? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is, is it an itch that you can't really scratch <laughs> i like to think that it keeps it keeps open the space of imagination that isn't it you know that that resists just resists capitalist realism in some way you know and and uh and and that that is a sort of like small but still patching passing of the torch of that because i think the, the you know that i think that's one of the points that fisher makes is like it's the death of the imagination, yeah. the co-option of the imagination. That's the worst part, because if you can't imagine something else, you'll never do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it'll never happen. You first have to be able to imagine it. And, and I think that's like, this is the, the, the world of art that, you know, that, and it, that, that keeps that torch going that like being exposed to that. It just opens you up to being able to imagine and enjoy and, and laugh at something else. And I think the humor is, integral to it absolutely yeah well i think that's a good place to end all right it, well <laughs> that's a good place and we didn't get to talk about holly which i thought was oh, a, another interesting uh, part, but, uh, <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> but we'll leave that to the imagination of our listeners yeah <laughs> oh man keith david's death is so fucking sad and sudden and it cold. is yeah god yeah, damn yeah. it that was yeah. horrible yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know <laughs> Yeah. yeah that's right all right all right thomas Stop. good to talk to you yeah i'll talk yes. to you next week man talk to you next week have a Peace good out. weekend yeah. <laughs> you too <laughs> oh and i guess i'll see you tomorrow so that's like oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>